0: Great to see you, particularly if you're here for the first time or if you're watching uh, at home, either on your own or you're having church at home with others. Uh, There is no doubt that we have had two of the most momentous years uh, in human history, certainly in our lifetime. There is no doubt that the world has changed. There is no doubt that we are in a different age now. Things are different and I don't know if you detect it, even as we're kind of here in the UK emerging out of the pandemic and things are opening up and all that, everything seems different. There is no normal that we're returning to. Life is different now. And in amongst all of the challenges in this new era that we are now in, there's been additional challenges to the normal ones that we all know about to with health and emotions and economy. According to a study from the University College London, nearly a quarter of us have experienced a complete breakdown in a significant relationship during the pandemic. One in four have experienced a complete breakdown in a previously significant relationship during the pandemic. Friendships have been stretched. Families have been fractured. Romances have struggled. Over the last two years, many of us know that our relationships have taken a serious hit. What about you? How are your relationships? Scientific American magazine said this. A microbe has revealed, revealed the lie of rugged individualism. We are not self-sufficient And independent, we never have been. Our fates are bound together. Taking care of others is taking care of ourselves. So today, we're starting a new series throughout this whole term that we've called The Story of Us, in which we're going to ask each other and ourselves before God, what does it look like to bring life, To our relationships, those most significant relationships that we have. Go along with the series. Use the resources on the blog, the questions to unpack further in your groups on your own. These are some of the issues that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at friendship in an age of romance where perhaps we've undervalued the importance of friendship because it's all about finding the one. We're looking at disappointment in an age of longing when life isn't what you hoped it would be. And then on the 15th of May, we've got our tallyho gathering. And then on the 22nd of May, we're going to be looking at a marriage in an age of obsession. 29th of May, singleness in an age of Isolation. And the 5th of June, what does it look like to have faith in an age of difference where many, many people don't share our faith? How do we relate well? 12th of June, our next Tally Ho gathering. Then the 19th of June, what does it look like to live a life of legacy in an age of the immediate where actually the greatest impact we can have with our lives is decades after us? 26th of June, what about sex in an age of entitlement? Massive question. Then the 3rd of July, next Tally gathering. Then on the 10th of July, what does it look like to honor parents in an age of independence? And then finally, the series before we get to the summer, is parenting in an age of expectation. Where so often our children do things for us. What does it look like to be good parents? Now, can I encourage you? Many of these may not hit where you're at. But might I suggest what it means to be part of a community is to journey together on these issues. And our hope is that all of these subjects will resonate with all of us so that we can walk with each other as well as help ourselves. And also in addition to this, just so that you know, we're hoping from the beginning uh, in July to have three sessions on the whole issue of sexuality as well. So that's the series. Can I encourage you, this is hopefully a really encouraging and helpful series to invite friends to, people who aren't connected with church because a quarter of people have struggled with their relationships, if not more. Extra to the pandemic, there's been a sort of low-grade stress that we are all under that those closest to us have borne the brunt of. And so in an extra to this, we're also providing a relationships health check Here it is. So on the screen, you'll see a QR code or a web link. Use your phone on your camera to get the link through to here. We're hoping next week to have paper copies. I've got one here, but the printers have messed up. So they'll be around next week, paper copies. But the online one is way easier to use as well. Download that and use it as a simple guide to help you reflect on your relationships. It's not a scientifically proven survey or anything. It's just some statements that you're asked to rate about your friendships, family, your church, your work relationships, and perhaps your marriage. You might want to take time to pause and go through it on your own. And then invite somebody that knows you well, that will be supportive, to reflect on some of your answers. Some may not be appropriate to discuss with others, as you'll see. Not all the relationships issues will reflect you, but can I encourage you to do that? Do have a look, and it's on there on our blog uh, as well. And then to help us in this, every week, we're going to be using some ancient wisdom from the Bible, from the book of Proverbs. Every week, we've got a key proverb. Proverbs is one of the most underrated books, I think, in the Bible. People have referred to it as the smelling salts of the Bible, the sort of wake-up call. To kind of say, whoa, how's life going? And every week, we're going to look at uh, a hook on one particular proverb and then use another bit of the Bible to kind of reflect on that as Jonathan has read to us this morning. And often, proverbs use poetic imagery to describe something that really goes to the heart of the issue. And so here's today's proverbs. It's a proverb. It's going to be on the screen. What I want us to do is to all read this out loud together, okay? Do join us if you're having church at home as well. Let's read this, Proverbs 27, verse 17. Here we go. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Let's read that again. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We live in an age where so often it is all about me. I went on a devastatingly terrifying journey the other day. I went onto Mum's net. As you do. <laughs> and looking for advice about relationships. And what was interesting was how much advice was simply be a variant of, if you're not getting what you want, move on. Life's too short. The pandemic has shown us something that has always been true. We need each other. Our lives, our lives, are defined by our relationships. Iron sharpens iron. And so spending time investing in our relationships is arguably the most important thing we can do. And the Bible has some surprisingly hopeful things to say to us. We need each other to grow. And if you've ever been in a butcher butchers where they've been sharpening their knives. You know, they've got the big long steels and they do that thing that looks terrifying. They go out and and it looks really quite amazing how quickly they do it. Iron sharpening iron. A knife, I am told, is far more dangerous when it is blunt. Top chefs will tell you that a blunt knife is a deadly knife. Why? Because you have to use more force it's more likely to slip and therefore you're more likely to cut yourself. Whereas a sharp knife, you put it on some food, chops through, brilliant. does what a knife should do. And friends, this proverb reveals to us that our relationships, we need them to help us fulfill our purpose to be the people that God calls us to be. You need this room of people. You at home need the people that you're in amongst. All those close relationships that we all have. We need each other even when it's sometimes rocky. Iron sharpens iron. And so our relationships may need a bit of refresh as we emerge out of this pandemic. That's what this series is about. And the reading that Jonathan read to us from Romans 12 unpacks a little bit, I think, of some of those reflections from Proverbs. What does it look like to have life-giving relationships? And we're simply going to run through very briefly in 10 minutes six key things from the book of Romans, that passage. Six signs of a life-giving relationship. Now, as we get into this, I just want to say something by way of important reminder. I'm very aware that some relationships are very, very, what you could call toxic, abusive, damaging. If that is you, can I encourage you, if you've not already done so, to speak to someone who you know really cares and really knows you very well. You may need some very specific help. And the stuff that we're going to be going through through this series, there may be some really helpful stuff, but there will be some stuff that you need to kind of just park for another time because what you're navigating at the moment is different. But these six things, I think, are general things that will inform some of what we'll be looking at throughout this series. Signs of a life-giving relationship. Here's the first one. Life-giving relationship is with people who are willing to take second place. In a culture of me, in which so many of us have been involved in battles to win our rights, many of those rights are wonderful and so important. But the temptation can therefore be to adopt a sort of sense of entitlement. I get what I want. But Paul says these words in Romans chapter 12, love must be sincere, hate what's evil, cling to what's good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself, be willing to take second place. That word sincere, love must be sincere, other versions say without hypocrisy or genuine love. Summarized in a devotion to put the other one higher than yourself, willing to take second place. There weren't many voices on mum's net that said something like that. And a good question to ask that, that we all need to ask sometimes is this For whose benefit am I doing this? Mine? or theirs. And even sometimes good acts, acts that are apparently kind, deep down we know are for my benefit, to prove my worth. Well, I think Paul reminds us that a life-giving, loving relationship is one in which people are willing to take second place to those they're in relationship with. Second point, I think, that is kind of like a good sign of a life-giving relationship. It's a relationship in which we help each other spiritually. Let me read you uh, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, says Paul. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Seems to me that healthy relationships are ones that help each other grow in our relationship with God. Now, it might be that you're in a place at the moment where you're not sure whether you'd call yourself a Christian. Maybe church is something new to you. Wonderful. This is the best place to explore faith. And actually, that's what church is for, to spur each other on, to be honest with our doubts, to be, to be sincere and walk with each other through the grappling times of life. That's why we need each other. Friends, can I ask you, who are your people that are spurring you on spiritually? I have a triplet uh, no, we have twins I mean I have a prayer triplet uh, which are me and two other guys that, they're both church leaders in different parts of the country we meet together for two days two, three times a year we meet on Skype or Zoom FaceTime, whatever in the meantime we have lots of Whatsapps and stuff like that that's the place in which we ask each other the hard questions we're honest about the answers to those and then we support, we love, we pray for each other we walk for each other Walk with each other. Who are your people, friends? Who do you confess to? Iron sharpening iron. We need others, which is why Alpha, we do every term here at Riverside. Because the best place to explore questions of faith is in a group environment where you get to know each other and you walk with each other and you ask the difficult questions and you're grappling together. No question's a stupid one. That's why Alpha works so well, because you get to know others and you walk together. We've got a new Alpha course starting. Please do invite your friends. Come along yourself. It's why also things like our prayer gathering, which we've got tonight, is so important. Not just because we pray to God, but actually we pray with others. Spurring each other on, building each other's faith. So tonight's prayer gathering is on Zoom only. Uh, And so if you're a regular Riverside, you'll get your regular Riverside News email. Click through to Riverside News on our website. You'll see the the details there, the Zoom link and all of that. Uh, If you haven't got that email, you're a regular. Check your spam. We've discovered that lots of people's emails from us are going to spam. Would you know? But that's why we meet to pray together. We need each other. So life-giving relationships, willing to take second place, spur each other on spiritually. Third thing is this. We celebrate in the good times. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And it can be so easy after we've gone through such a brutal time for many of us to actually rejoice with those who are rejoicing. There are many people that have had a brilliant pandemic. It's really funny speaking to people and they're kind of like slightly embarrassed. Actually, I've loved it. Actually, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And can I air a note of caution that I see within my own heart? And I put it out there if others have it too, fine. If not, it's just me. (laughs) If your default reaction is to downplay, be jealous of, draw attention to your hardship, they're cautionary signs. Loving people is celebrating when there are good things happening for them, even if there aren't good things happening for you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And sometimes to do that very thing is a sacrificial act of love and life-giving. Jesus was known as the party person. May we be too. That's the third thing. Celebrate in the good times. But of course, the flip to that or the other side is also to be willing to weep in the storms. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Uh, can I reflect on another thing that I've observed in my own heart and I put it out there if it's something that you share. I think one of the things that we have see all over the place is compassion fatigue. I speak to a friend of mine who's a GP. Says he's just tired because everybody's life is hard. And it can be easy, therefore, to slightly distance ourselves because we're exhausted of hearing so many people going through stuff when we're going through stuff too. Maybe one of the greatest life-giving acts in your relationship is to sit with someone and say, can I just listen to what you've got going on? And then weeping with them. The next thing is this as we come to our last two. Life-giving relationships are ones in which there is no place for revenge. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, I think so often we, for some people, are like the kind of, well, God's going to get you type people. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, because God sees everything and knows everything, therefore you can leave it to God. Don't take it on yourself. Which is why, sadly, so often those people who emphasize God's wrath seem to be just nasty people. (laughs) Whereas actually Paul's saying, leave it to God because you don't have to deal with it. He's the judge of all the earth, not you. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. I think that, for me, says there's little place in life-giving relationships for I'll show you type responses. And revenge can be explicit, can't it? I'm going to get you for what you've done. Or it can be subtle. I'm going to show them how pathetic they are by showing how impressive I am. No place for revenge in life, given relationships. And the final one is this. Interestingly. How then, when we're facing difficulty, or perhaps even wrongdoing in our relationships, where we feel wronged? Well, Paul says we respond by repaying wrong with good. Let me read you again, verse 20. On the contrary, Paul says... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't overcome it by evil, but overcome evil with God, with good. Now that phrase, heap burning coals on his head, it's kind of, it throws you you a bit. Because up till then, it's, you know, hungry, feed them. Thirsty, give them drink. In doing this, you'll eat burning coals on their head. (laughs) Well, I think the context makes clear is that's not how it's supposed to be read. It's not, yeah, give them something good, so then see them burn. (laughs) No. I think what Paul is saying is, in the context where you are able to leave it to God, don't return evil with evil. Repay it with good. And it's probably that when somebody therefore has wronged you, don't stoop down to then respond in kind. Bless, because in that blessing, it may be that sometimes then they'll be so shocked with your grace and compassion and kindness, even to enemies, that then reminds them of how they then need to change. Sometimes if we react with contempt, it justifies their contempt for us. But actually when we meet with genuine goodness, it points to something way beyond you. Now friends, I know that none of us do these all the time we all need help. We all need hope. That's what this series is about. And as we come to our saviour, we see someone who was willing to take second place. Not my will, but yours be done. We see someone who sees somebody with a physical need and says that your spiritual needs forgiveness is met. We have a saviour who was willing to talk about parties and about the angels rejoicing about one person who comes home. We have a savior who stands at a graveside of his friend and weeps at the grief. We have a savior who leaves it to God when he's dying, says, Father, forgive them. And we have a savior who turns to one betrayer and stoops to wash his feet. And turns to another betrayer and restores him and says, you are going to build my church. It's in Christ we see what life-giving relationships are like. And we find the grace that changes us to live lives that bless others.